Welcome back to the Coach and Kernan Show. We're on episode 20 now, Real Voices of the Game. Today, I'm here, Dave D'Agostino. My co-host, America's Most Beloved Sports Writer, is on assignment. So we have our resident expert. We call him Bull. He's in the Witness Protection Program here at Coach and Kernan, 40-plus years in professional baseball as a player, coach, scout. Uh, Bull's sitting in the chair with me today, and we welcome to the show Justin Orenda. Just to give you a little background on Justin, 33rd pick in the 2004 draft, was a member of the 2003 USA baseball team, played in the Pan American Games. Members of that team, Houston Street, uh, pro pitcher by the name of Weaver, and uh, Justin Verlander, some of us may have heard of him. But the, the thing that we have Justin on today is he is the architect of the DVS system, the delivery value system, which in my opinion right now is the best program on the market to help develop young pitchers. It's not about velocity, as you'll learn on the show. It's about a delivery system that keeps players throwing longer and staying healthy. And Justin, welcome to the show. We're glad to have you today. Yeah, thanks so much, guys. Honored to be here. Um, I want to start, you know, every story starts somewhere. Um, I want to start at the middle of your life, um, you know, probably the beginning of the DBS system. You had a, a very successful uh, amateur and professional career, um, unfortunate arm injury, uh, woke up from surgery and there was something that the doctor told you that I guess was the, the spawn of the DVS system. Could you share that story a little bit with us? Yeah, sure. Uh, you know, I tell everybody that the, the birth of DVS, so to speak, was when I woke up from surgery and I happened to lose 80% of my bicep tendon. And going into surgery, we thought I was, had a slap tear, my labrum, and, you know, that's what I was going in for. So when I woke up, the surgeon said, well, you know, good news, bad news, but it wasn't a slap tear. Uh, but we did uh, go in and cut or, excuse me, smooth down um, 80% of your tendon. Um, and we don't know exactly if you've got 6,600 or six innings left because we don't do this type of surgery that often. But we do know that this surgery is a product of how you threw the baseball. So from that moment, you know, my mind went straight to, well, why me? And what about my throwing uh, mechanics led to this type of injury? And, you know, I just started to really kind of look internally um, about what I was doing. And, you know, throughout my uh, second half of my playing career, I like to call it, I really couldn't find the answers as I was playing. And, um, you know, that eventually led to me retiring um, earlier than, you know, obviously I wanted to. Uh, but upon retirement, you know, it was always in the back of my head when I went back to school to get my business degree of, OK, why throughout the history of baseball could some pitchers, you know, get to that pinnacle of 2,300 or 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 innings? and some other pitchers are often injured. And there had to be correlations there. And this is back 2009, 2010, when I started to ask these questions. And, um, you know, I really simply started with kind of a, a functional approach of, let's look at the best in the game to be able to establish this pinnacle. Let me try to find footage or images of what they were doing. And over the next five years, I basically built what's now referred to as the delivery value system. Yes, it's a biomechanical model, but it's rooted in sequencing and it's rooted in, we have a pitcher, there's a slope, there's 60 foot, six inches of a target, and we have to be able to throw a baseball in the zone and get it out. And who is able to do that for longer periods of time? And that's what I was most interested in. And that's what I wanted to be able to quantify over time to where it's, oh, yeah, Justin had a great career. He's able to do some things, but it's not really my opinion on how to pitch. It's just looking at, well, you know, here's the human body. Here's the task that's involved. Here's some examples of guys that have been able to do it for a long period of time. What do they have in common? Oh, by the way, here's pitchers who had short careers. And what do they have in common? So, all in all, that's kind of the foundational approach to which I started with and built it from. And I think it's also very important to note that there's no way I could go back and look at, you know, Tom Glavin, for instance, delivery and get him in a biomechanical lab and hook up nodes and sensors and see what his joint mechanics were doing. So I had to quantify movement, not necessarily positions, torques and speed. And I had to be able to get a lot of samples. 
And so that's kind of how we started. What, what did you find when you did that self-examination? What points did you find about yourself? Well, looking back now, which actually gave me um, a lot of closure, I would say, on my, my playing career is that now that the delivery value system was built, it goes 0 to 24, 24 being the higher level of sequencing, the least amount of risk, and the most amount of innings that you can accumulate over a career. And I found, looking at past footage of myself, that I was anywhere from a six to eight on that scale throughout my time at you know, VCU and then with the Dodgers, where the average score of Major League Baseball pitchers is around 14. So I was already at a high level of risk coming into the draft throughout my college career. And at some point, I was going to have this injury, whether it was in 2006, 2007, 2008, I was going to hit that wall and I was going to get surgery. And as we know now, is that every pitcher, if they were to throw forever, they're going to get hurt at some point, right? It's just what what threshold or what point is that uh, innings limit to which they're going to face? Um, so for me, it was obviously much sooner in my career than I wanted. But at the same time, if you do get hurt, and let's say that you're like myself, a six or eight DBS score, as you kind of come back out of surgery or you're rehabbing, it doesn't mean that you have to stay at risk for the rest of your career. That's why we built this program so you can understand those things that are related to your injury. And then moving forward, you might be able to have a different forecast of what you might be able to do, but you have to dig into how you move and how you sequence to throw the baseball. Yeah. Now you mentioned your score just for the, the audience when you hit, if, and correct me if I'm wrong, Justin, but if you hit 11, that's kind of the the danger zone right there. So anything below eleven or twelve, you you, you want to you want to be leery of what your sequencing is. Talk about the six components. Now you said the grading score is zero to four. The top score is twenty four. What are the six components of the sequencing system? Yeah, sure. So we have mass and momentum, which basically is from the time that you start to move down uh, the slope, the back leg, the pelvis. What is it doing um, in relation to your overall delivery? And then as we kind of shift and we kind of start to move through the sequence, then we're going to look at what the throwing arm starts to do as you're moving down the mound. We call that the arm swing component. Is it going further into shoulder retraction and shoulder height? Is the wrist getting above the elbow too soon? Uh, those are some just the variables that we look at there. And then we're also going to look at the torso and the posture. Is it staying in flexion? Is it moving from flexion back to extension? And what are these things doing prior to the position at foot strike component when the front foot settles into the ground and then that transfer the upper torso and our path of arm acceleration component starts to transfer that mass and forward into ball release and then after ball release we have the component of the deceleration of the throw as the hand comes back into the body and eventually all movement stops well and when we, when our young audience or our coaches or we, we have a strong professional baseball contingency, who would be a good model out there? I know, uh, and I don't want to throw name drops out there. I'll let let you do that as well. But you know, the guy you worked with, like Justin Berlander, where would his model? He's a guy who reinvented himself a couple different times. Who's a model out there for the you know this this uh, type of system that, that you would say that's a that's a close to a twenty or a twenty four? Yeah. So I think if you if you look at where we are now, I mean, Verlander and Kershaw are both between 17 and 19, you know, give or take an outing. Um, and they historically have been there. And if you think about it, it's like, well, they look a little different in their delivery, right? But the way that we've quantified those components, they still grade out on average higher than most major league pitchers. And if you look at what they've been able to establish in their careers, they've been able to get to a large inning threshold, avoid injury. Obviously, Verlander had his Tommy John surgery a couple years ago. But when we look at it, it's like, well, if he's going to get us that many innings and then have surgery, well, okay, that's okay. And then, you know, now that he had surgery, well, maybe he has another, you know, 1,500, 2,000 innings, right? Um, you know, and so, but one of the best examples I think you can look at if you're looking at kind of, what I wouldn't say, minimal or moderate, but just a really efficient use of movement. We really studied heavily Mariana Rivera, um, you know, simply because he was able to kind of get into um, the same release point for one pitch 
and what series of movements allowed him to do that. So Rivera, he was a 20 to 21 in the delivery value system, you know, and I think we've got five or six scores on him, you know, so he was an example. And then you could take Rivera and then go with a, a little bit smaller profile. I don't know if you guys remember uh, Hiroki Kuroda, uh, but he was someone that, you know, I kind of came and uh, encountered with in the Dodgers organization when he was there. And he's able to take the same 19 to 20 um, DVS score, but he uses more um, energy throughout that sequence as he goes down to the mound. Um, so, you know, he may look a little bit different than Rivera did, but their patterns were very, very similar. Thanks. Bull, you, had, you wanted to add something? Yeah, I mean, this is truly fascinating, the studies that you've done, Justin, and, you know, being a older school guy who uh, um, signed back in the 70s and coached in the 80s and early 90s, um, you know, the, the, you, know, you use the word foundation and, you know, the, the times that we spent um, as young pitchers back in my, my time and I watch now, and I don't think there's a, a, as much attention to detail to balance rhythm and timing which creates a lot of the sequencing that you're talking about. Um, you know, doing hours of balance drills, staying online, being efficient. So when your foot lands, your hands in the right place every time, uh, which lends to throwing strikes lends to, uh, probably more deception to the hitter. Um, you know, so many young pitchers now I see are flying open cause they're always trying to throw hard. So they're not only, um, putting more stress on their arm, the hitters get a better look when you're flying open and you, you know, you, you have poor command, but it's, it's fascinating um, <clears throat> what you've now been able to quantify. And then I, I guess the other person who had a simplicity delivery and in watching him, Greg Maddox hand was in the same place every, every pitch. And I'm curious if you guys did a score on him. Yeah, uh, Maddox was right at a 17. Okay. Uh, yeah, so Maddox, um, you know, he was obviously a big um, part of our study going into it and obviously someone who was able to accumulate a large number of innings and just understood, you know, it's a, another kind of topic, but, you know, could Maddox throw a little bit harder pitch to pitch if he wanted to? Yes. Yeah, most definitely could, but he didn't need to um, yeah. because – he could breeze through lineups and get his team into the seventh, eighth inning with a low number of pitches, right. pretty hard to start. And there's a high value on that. And so that was his approach. And, you know, it's like if you're having a large amount of success with that approach, then, you know, what's my incentive to have to dial my stuff up all the time um, to which most young guys in the game now are facing to which is, hey, I got to. I got to make sure every time out I go out there and I showcase my best stuff because if I have dips in my stuff, you know, then I may not be valued from a metric standpoint or from a data standpoint yeah. as much as somebody else. No, that's that's exactly right. You know, I I see people they spend time um, in between starts. Now they're on the uh, Edgetronic or the Rapsodo or you know whatever machine they're on. Um, there's an iPad there and they're, they're going full tilt, trying to create more spin, more velocity, and everything is about pitch shape as opposed to command yeah. and, and making pitches. And, you know, quite honestly, between starts, I don't know if you should be maxing out in an 18 to 20 minute bullpen, trying to create more spin. You know, I, I, to me, you're better served to creating a better delivery so that you now have better command. And there's just so much emphasis to me on all the wrong things. And I think that's why pitching is where it is. Well, that's a great question. point. I've got a question for both you guys. I want to hear both your opinions on it because you, you both touched on it from different angles. With, with pitching now, I haven't heard either one of you talk about velocity in the first 15 minutes, which I love. How, how much of it is about awareness as opposed to overhaul? How much of success in pitching is more, is it more about awareness or overhaul like we're seeing? Go ahead, Justin, you start. Sure. Um, I'll start with, uh, 
to me is a very practical approach to it. You know, and I, I told you, Dave, but you know, when I went up to the United Shore Professional Baseball League in 2016, my approach was on uh, recovery and being able to execute pitches and improve timing. You know, and we obviously improved that timing through improving the DVS score, which we talked about. And over time, what happens, and what's important for all the listeners to understand, is that improving timing just doesn't just doesn't mean that I'm just getting my wrist to the same spot or my forearm to the same spot at foot strike. It also means that I have the ability to transfer more mass and utilize more leverage through better sequencing. And if I'd start to do that, the execution, because our goal was execution and recovery, but now I'm transforming more mass into that. And as a byproduct, I am throwing harder. So in turn, like our, our primary goal was that, hey, we got to go out there. We got to move faster. We got to do all these things. We got to get stronger, throw harder to have more success. It was actually, no, let's be more on time. Let's be in the zone more often. Let's attack the zone. And from that, we'll start to see a byproduct of other things start to happen. And so for me, when we came in and that was our approach and that was our communication and that's our culture of what we're trying to do from a game purity standpoint, the, the things that I loved and our owner loved was the game's moving and our starters are throwing strikes and the game's getting to the sixth, seventh inning with a lot of hiccups and we're having good pitching matchups. It doesn't mean that we don't have offense, but it means that, wow, these guys are really attacking the zone. We got action. And that in of itself, I think, is one of the best byproducts of all of this is because you sit behind home plate from a scouting perspective. You can say, wow, these guys are really attacking the zone. But we had to kind of get to a point where they had awareness about what goes into being able to attack the zone better and not say, well, just to get you out of the USPBL to a major league organization, you got to throw 94 and you got to have this amount of vertical break and horizontal break on your pitches. Nope. Let's actually make you a valuable contributor to your team and then potentially a valuable contributor to the minor league organization. I like that. It's about getting outs. It's about right. pitching. Yeah. Instead of no, you guys did a great job, Justin. You know, and that's where we first connected and I, talk to you about kids to go up there and play over the years. And my former teammate, Paul Nochi, who I believe is still up there, uh, you guys just do a good job. You know, we we as organizations know that players that are coming out of there are now getting to the big leagues that weren't drafted or were released, and they know how to play. And you guys were teaching. And, you know, you, you made so many great points and – you know, that's what I was taught at a young age was, um, you know, your velocity is going to come when you're right. And, you know, when you're on time, when you have good balance, when you have good rhythm and timing, you're directionally correct. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're throwing strikes and then you feel, and I, I'll, uh, I'm sure you felt this, get, really go back and think of some games where you had really good games, you know, high strikeout totals, a few hits, the ball just jumps out of your hand when you're on time and you can feel it and you get that extra carry. Um, and But all of that comes with foundationally doing the right things, which, which is what the DVS and what a lot of old school people were always trying to teach is, you know, the velocity will come. And we talk about it on here all the time in hitting. You know, hit the ball hard from gap to gap, and if you're big enough and strong enough, eventually you'll figure out how to hit some home runs. Right. So. I like it. Uh, now, would talk. you mentioned this, Bull, and I want, Justin, maybe you can elaborate on it, and, and Bull fill in United Shore Professional Baseball League, I think you were referring to, kind of a finishing school for baseball. Talk about the successes with that program that you've had, some guys that maybe have come out, some maybe some stories of, corrections you've made with pitchers that have helped them move on to bigger things in baseball? Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, Andy Appleby created USPBL, you know, with the approach that he kind of learned from uh, Premier League and, and uh, soccer or football, as you call it. Um, but it was, it was pretty simplistic in structure. And whenever I talk to a player, I have to talk about the structure of the league first, right? And it's, it's built for skill development because we play three, max four games per week. 
Other days are reserved for skill acquisition, skill development. We got to learn. We got to be aware. Everyone that came, comes into the, the program, we got to sit down with them. And we have to understand them as a person, understand what they've been going through, and then really communicate to say, hey, look, here's where you are. Here's typically what you know, Major League Baseball organizations are going to be looking for from a player from this league. And here's the steps to kind of get you there. And we're going to give you time because each game, if you fail, if we know that you're working towards something to improve upon, it could be small, it could be big. Hey, we're okay with it, right? We're going to give you the time. We're going to believe in you. We're going to give you the opportunity to do it. But if you fail, we're not going to be yelling at you from the dugout saying, you know, what's your deal? So in structure, it gives guys this ability to have time to understand from a knowledge perspective what they need to do. They have a great staff that implements and executes this development approach. And from it, we've been able to have a ton of success. And it goes from, you know, my vision for it and Andy's vision for it, before me, Brian Berriman's vision for it, from all of our staff, right? And so Randy Dobnak is a when he got promoted up to the Twins at the big league level in 2019, you know, that's the pinnacle of what we set out to do, right? He got signed by the Twins and Billy Milos in 17, and he just continued to pitch, 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 pitch every step of the way. And he basically pitched his way to the big leagues as a contributor in some way that you had to put in the rotation. And so for us, he was probably, if you look at it from a scouting perspective, maybe a little undersized, deliveries maybe a little funky and went to a small school. But you know what? He came in, he had a knack for the strike zone. We just helped him get a little bit more of that mass and momentum down the mound, try to finish a little bit. And he went from 90-92 to about 92-94, to 94, all pitches in the zone, three-pitch mix. And he kind of had that sinker going in that slider and he was dominating our league. So, you know, when July came around and they needed an arm, well, Randy Dobnak was the top guy. And obviously he got to the big leagues and that was a great, great story for us. But another story I like to tell is the story of, of Ty Hensley, who was a first round pick of the Yankees. I think only accumulated around 50 innings with the Yankees, had two elbow surgeries and just never was able to fulfill or get an opportunity to really extend his career. But he then became labeled, right? And so he went to the Frontier League and eventually found his way in our league. And through two years with us, he was able to throw in those two seasons more innings than he had in his entire professional career, stayed healthy, was pitching into the ninth inning, no injuries, no missing starts, recovered. And it was because we identified earlier when he first got to the USBBL, he was a 14 DVS score, worked his way up to a 19 DVS score, started to learn how to effectively pitch in the zone and started to do really, really well and set himself up for the next opportunity. But the sad part of it is, is most of the culture says, well, he's still riddled with injuries. He's a big high risk, but we know that he was able to actually show and produce that he was able to extend innings and recover and his stuff was good. But that's not the norm of someone who already had you know, two elbow surgery. But, you know, we were able to help him in a sense where he identified things of his past that he didn't understand. We hadn't helped him through it. And then obviously gave him a game plan uh, moving forward. The thing that I like that I think our audience, parents that are obsessed with, you know, nonstop pitching lessons, nonstop hitting lessons, the key point you made, and these are professional athletes or potential athletes you're, you're talking about, before you try to teach them anything you sat down and tried to understand their learning strategies their socialization strategies what their background was before they got there before you started touching mechanics or sequence or anything like that and I think our, our parents in the audience and our coaches need to understand that too um, or these kids go in and it's you know 99% mechanics and there's nothing mental going on or there's nothing social going on so that's that's a great point that you're making where 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 can we find this is major league baseball embracing this is college baseball embracing this how high up is this this dbs system how is it, how high up is it going right now well you know we've we've talked with probably a dozen major league organizations about dbs and we've been met with you know positive conversations but the ability to implement it at the highest level uh, we haven't crossed that bridge and there's always two two sides to dbs right it's we can give you 
injury analytics and data about what would continue to happen if this pitcher continues over his career, the current risk, the future probability of risk. But most importantly, it's, well, he doesn't have to stay there. You can change it. You can you can definitely manipulate that data, so to speak, by understanding the pitcher and be able to improve this sequencing. And you may get a totally different forecast of what he's able to do in your organization. And I think that from my experience, that's just a hard uh, thing to bite off um, and kind of implement uh, at a more organizational scale. But like I tell, like I was in my conversations with organizations, it's like, well, we were able to do it in the USPBL in a four-team league. Now, granted, we're working with you know forty to forty-five pitchers at all times, but in scope, it's doable. And we had most of the time two to three pitching coaches or coordinators that would be implementing this stuff. But it just goes back to we kept it very simple in design of how to implement it. And from the score perspective, you know, our goal has always been if I share a, a report with whatever coach in the organization about one of the players, it's going to be an objective approach about the mechanics related to sequencing, not how nasty his slider is or how much spin he has or what his velocity is. It's sequencing which relates to success in games. And so we can all agree upon that's what we want. And so, you know, that would still be my goal to share and help um, an organization implement to certain levels because you don't have to have you know, the whole program, but you can start with certain aspects of it um, to get into it. So that's kind of where we are from the MLB side. We've had college programs adopt it. Um, and we obviously, from a youth perspective, all the way down to Taylor North Little League, you know, who won the Little League World Series last year, um, it's whether you're 10 or whether you're 14 or whether you're 30 years old and you got you know, eight years in the big league, we're still going to sit you down and understand what you know when we try to tell you what the program's all about. Bull, I was going to throw this to you anyway. I'm glad you want to want to jump in. But how? I mean, you're one of the. I've talked to hundreds of scouts, and all have been great. But when I speak to you, it's like complicated simplicity. You, I mean, cut right to it. There's accountability. There's this kid can play or not play. How important would Justin's system be to to, to what you do? Well, I mean, it would be uh, extremely important, and it's it's amazing that, um, and you see this um, in in baseball. There's an arrogance um, of the people that you pitch this to. They don't understand the importance, first of all, of what you're doing, because what you're doing is the foundation to make pitchers the, the healthiest they can be and the best they can be. And if you don't see value in that, then you're, 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 you're blind to the situation because we're not seeing that now. Um, it's embarrassing to me to go in and see so many pitchers with ERAs and you pitch, Justin. I was embarrassed when I had an ERA in the four. Now there's half of the guys have ERAs in the fives and sixes. Um, that's embarrassing. <clears throat> um, and I know they say that's not important, but it is. And also getting a W or an L next to your name is important. Right. Um, so like there's a lot of things that they just don't get. And the simplicity of what you're doing is really, you know, the foundation to being a good pitcher. Just like there's a foundation to being a good hitter when we talk to Jeff Fry, and there's a foundation to being a good infielder when we talk to Ted Kubiak or Perry Hill or the other really good infield people. So we're missing all of the things that are right in front of our eyes chasing shiny objects. I like that point. And Justin, you may have mentioned, I want you to tell this story because it gets to Bull's point about foundation. You work, I mean, your program is applicable to, you know, the eight-year-old as much as it is to the 28-year-old. And it's it's youth baseball to pro baseball. In fact, I told you before the show, for the audience, full disclosure, both my boys are just starting with the program. And we just introduced it to one of the young men we're working with, with Baseball New Zealand, number one rated prospect over there, shortstop pitcher. 
he's adopting the program right now. So um, you got people that buy into it big time. But I want you to tell the story about Taylor Little League. One, because there was success, but two, because you didn't go into it with the mindset of, hey, let's create the Little League World Series you know, team here. But tell us the story about that. That's a, a great story for kids. Yeah, so it just so happened to where a lot of members of that team, they're also part of a travel uh, team. And we started working with one of the coach's sons. And, you know, next thing you know, we had uh, two more uh, members of the team and then three and four and five. And our approach when we talked to Rick Thorny and the head coach was like, look, our job for you in terms of, you know, uh, bringing your players here to DVS is, you know, most teams are going to have two to three kids that get the ball over the plate. They throw a little hard. But our job was to extend that number out to like five or six to where, you know, from a tournament setting or team setting, we want more qualified uh, pitchers to be able to throw quality strikes, move the game along, and not have to constantly uh, go and seek the top two arms to get the job done. And so if you go back and look, they were to kind of able to interchange a lot of the arms and keep the arms fresh to be able to accomplish that goal. And that's kind of what we said from the start. And so these players, they didn't really come in as a group or a team. The players came in on an individual basis with our DBS trainers, and that was our focus. So just like everybody else, we went into where they were and started to work with their sequence, then be able to execute you know, more pitches in the zone. And in that young of age, you know, maybe we touched a little bit on breaking balls, but it was more of, hey, let's see how effectively you can actually throw a fastball in the zone. And then let's see if you can start to move it around the zone a little bit. But all the while, you have to consistently repeat into your finish. You have to stay um, over the mound. And let's see how this starts to play out. And most of the times, I mean, we're not going to be out there in the games, right? But part of the program is, we have to educate the players, the parents especially, and if it's a coach bringing in their teams, our job is to really, really educate the coach. And they sit right there and they hear all the information because they're the ones carrying it forward in the community, not us. And so the success of pitchers in the community is what obviously allows us to continue to work with more pitchers. But in the case of you know the Taylor team, it was just a great story of how it just progressed. And at the end of it, you know, we knew that how much of it could we take credit for? I have no idea, you know, but all I know is, is that we were able to kind of work with those players and help them get more consistent, stay healthy, and you never know what's going to come out of it. Yeah. And just, uh, I mean, at the end, the end result, which is what you, you weren't after, but it ended up, uh, ended up in a feel-good story. They won the Little League World Series uh, during that season, correct? That's right. That's right. Yeah. That's phenomenal. Yeah. I love that. Um, so with, with this particular program now, there's, there's other things that are going on. It just didn't, you know, just doesn't stop with the BBS. Talk about this, the sequencing of the program. You have the MVP program, you have the Gray Institute, and then, um, I want to get to your two studies that you did also at the end, but talk about the MVP as the kind of the add on to the DBS program and then the Gray Institute work you're doing. Sure. Yeah. So what we decided to do was kind of wrap up the development aspect of what we're doing and call it the MVP, which is mechanics for velocity and performance. And so we use the word velocity because, you know, most everyone is going to associate some sort of training of they want to throw harder, right? So we have to educate and say, well, you can throw harder, but we have to make sure that we start with the sequencing piece first. And before we ever ask you to do more, let's make sure that that foundation is there. So that's what we call our MVP program. And you can begin it, you know, if you're 12 years old and you want to start the MVP program uh, with just with dad or mom or grandpa, whoever is going to help you with it, you can start it from the house. And the beauty of it is you don't have to have a lot of fancy gadgets. You can do it from the basement. You can do it from the backyard. You can go out to the community field. You can do it from wherever. And eventually, the MVP program, it's built to do two things primarily. One, it's as you improve the sequencing through it, it's going to help establish what we call a true ball flight. And that true ball flight goes into just playing catch. So you can be a catcher, you can be a position player, and you can benefit from the MVP program. We may not give you a DVS score, but you can still establish better ball flight 
in your throwing programs day to day. And then another part of it is it'll kind of show you, and we talked about this a little bit earlier, I don't need to go out and if I'm throwing, I don't have to throw 85, 100% every time I pick up a baseball. You know, I can throw at 30% or 50%. I can still do a full movement of my throw and I can work on my skill. So what we do is once we start establishing that true ball flight, then the next thing you know that starts to happen internally with that confidence is now the player starts to see themselves capable of doing something different and better than they used to do prior. So we start to call that the confidence loop and it starts playing catch. And then that starts to progress into the bullpens and then that progresses into the games. And the better, the more that we're on time as a product of that better sequence, we can see ourselves be able to execute those pitches, multiple pitches, and then our quality of game success changes. And that's where through the beginning of the MVP program to the end, we want to try to get every player in what we call the optimal performance um, phase, right? It's like they've gone through it. The sequence is good. They have a good foundation. They're now getting into the success in games is there. They're healthy. They're recovering. They're a valuable contributor to themselves, but also the team that they play on. And so that way we know that that should kind of take them on that journey throughout their career as a product of the program. And as we talk about the Great Institute, you know, I built a lot of the delivery value system and I don't have, quote unquote, the all the degrees that you would typically determine of someone who built out a biomechanical model. There's pros and cons to that. And I think the biggest pro is that because I was a high level player, I also can feel certain things in my body. I'm capable of performing things at a certain level. And I had the baseball functional approach to look at it, not the typical lab biomechanical science approach to look at this. But in using and being a part of the, the Gray Institute, from the ground up, the bones, the joints, and basically what has to move in sequence based off where you start from, you know, that goes into the knowledge of the ongoing building of this delivery value system to where we can have conversations with PTs and orthopedics and travel ball coaches and parents, and we can scale certain levels of information up and down depending on who our audience is, but it all goes back into the foundation of what we're trying to do with our players. I love that. It's a, it's a full circle model. Kind of what, what Bull goes back to, the, the, the approach that you guys have taken is so unique, uh, but the humility with which you've approached it, I think, uh, lends itself to the success you've had because you're involving everybody, you're engaging everybody. And the words that I wrote down as you're doing it, you're, you're creating high agency, first principle, self-teaching kids. And I, I love that approach. Uh, Bull, Bull, what do you, you want to add something? Yeah, I, um, you know, so many things that you said and um, Justin, you know, getting kids to go out and be able to feel things. And when you're doing things right and all of a sudden that that creates a positive habit as a pitcher. Um, you know, one of the things, you know, even to this day, you watch uh, relief pitchers and we, we had acquired a guy and didn't realize that he was a lazy catch player mm-hmm. when he would play catch he would develop bad habits by flying open and carelessly just throwing balls to where you know and and you know the you know these are the things you know that I was taught and I tried to teach is you're going to end up being your own best coach as a young player and getting into this program kids are going to learn a lot about themselves and be able to have the feel that you have from being a former pitcher um, that, that, that is going to make them the best pitcher that they can be. So, um, kudos to the, to, to the things that you're doing for sure. Yeah. One great story I'll share with you guys is, you know, it goes into, we can have the best program in the world. Um, but we still need the individual on the field to one, establish trust in confidence with the players, but also have them truly make them better, right? And so I think that now it's a it's it's a little bit more of a dicey game because we have the the data-driven analytics of 
well, I got to, every bullpen's got to be on Rapsodo or TrackMan, and I got the cameras out, and I'm, I'm relaying information to you. But for me, what I say is, I don't really care about that information because I know that this player still has a ways to go before they get the level of information of what they're truly capable. So let's focus on that aspect, especially early in the minors, and let's get them to where they can have the most value to the big league club. And, you know, in 16, when I showed up to the USPBL, like, yeah, I had the iPads and we had the equipment out there that we could analyze these pictures. And everyone initially perceived me as a data guy. You know, but anybody that starts to know me, I'm going to get out in the trenches with these players. I'm going to play catch with you. I'm going to be right there with you. And I have to kind of show you, if you haven't seen it before, what some of these things look like. And I talked the day before, like a lot of our programs built off proprioception. It's like, look, I need to be able to have you feel these muscles turn on here. And that's the right kind of sequence of which this muscle will engage. But I don't necessarily want you to do it throwing a baseball because you'll be too worried about the result. So let's just focus on this part as part of your program. And then we gradually bring you along as you improve upon it. But for me, even with the players in the USPBL, I had to establish trust that I knew, one, what I was talking about, two, I could back it up and I could show guys what it truly means to play catch well, have good ball flight, repeat, keep your head still, all these things. And if I'm out there playing catch better than they are, it's maybe a little bit more of a motivational tool. I like that. With, with the other parts of these, the studies that you've done now in relation to this, We've seen the surgery rate go up with pitchers. It's almost acceptable, like I'll be better after my first or second Tommy John surgery. How much of the surgery rate is correlated to this heavy emphasis on throwing velocity, the chase for college scholarships, the no breaks with these kids are playing year-round baseball right now? You, how, how much of that is correlated to, to the surgery rate? Well, one thing that we look at in our study is birth year, right? And you know, for example, what that really means is, you know, I'm born in 1983 and as a product of the culture that, you know, the velocity programs, the weightlifting, the strength and condition and the emphasis on uh, year round playing. Well, you know, a player born in 2000 is exponentially more at risk than a player born in 1995. And that's continued. So we know that as these players that we're getting each year, and the Major League Baseball inherits as a product of the draft or signings, they're already coming into the organization at more risk or more damage than players, you know, 15, 20 years ago. And, you know, part of that is because now as a product of what I choose to do as a baseball player, I have more options in my town and my community to participate in a velocity program part of an elite travel organization, whatever it may be. But what's not really kind of talked about that is, well, great, but, you know, by the time that you're getting to 20, you already like ran into that wall. You either had to undergo and get a Tommy John surgery, which you're right, Dave, like, well, it's just part of it. Well, no, it actually doesn't have to be part of it. You know, and that's kind of our point is like, you don't have to do that. And if anybody internally knows if I'm getting Tommy John, I'm still going to miss a season and then I'm missing development time. There's still come, someone coming up behind me and I still can't give the organization an opportunity to see what I can do in a high A and a double A level to then say, well, is he going to be a big league pitcher? So you're still doing yourself a disservice by getting the surgery earlier in your career. But sometimes in, in some cases, Visually, organizations may want the surgery to happen earlier because, well, they've already had it, you know, and our, our kind of sentiment of that is, well, they're going to have it again if nothing has changed. Right. Well, you had, you had something you wanted to add. Those, you know, those are all great points. You know, we, we had pointed out, Justin, the, and I, I find it insane. Uh, I think there were 10 or 11 Tommy John kids drafted the first day of the draft. Um, and there's this belief, well, yeah, you know, everything, everybody always comes back throwing harder, they're better, whatever. Not always the case, <laughs> you know, and, um, you're, you know, you're so right. The, the, 
the younger generation, if you ask them who the top pitching guy in the baseball is, they all think it's Kyle Body, who has nothing to do with pitching. Mm-hmm. He's a velocity guy. He, he, he knows how to teach velocity. But he also has a lot of clients that have a lot of surgeries, too. Right. And it is, uh, it is insane that we keep going down this road. And, you know, the other thing, and I, I say it on here all the time, if travel ball coaches and high school coaches and college coaches were doctors, you could sue a lot of them for malpractice what they do to young pitchers. Um, so there, you, you know, there has to be some education for the kids and the families to take care of their arms and realize that no is a word you're allowed to say to a coach right? and, and be smart and then train to do things right. And you will stay healthier, much healthier. Well, that's a great point. I mean, I, I think that like, one of the things that I always advise or just say, you can always ask why, and you can always have a conversation. It should be a very uh, collaborative conversation. It shouldn't be, you know, one-sided, but at the same time, you know, if someone's asking you to do something and what is, what is the background of them doing it? You don't have to vet everything they're asking you to do, but you know, when it comes into, and I think this is kind of one of the things that we fall into is, you know, critics of what we do always say, oh, well, you know, DBS just loves the old school guys. I said, no, DBS loves the um, ability for those old school guys to have value to what they did for their teams in their career. And it doesn't mean that, again, the example about Verlander and Kershaw, they look different, but they're similar in scores. And that, that goes throughout the history of the game. So you don't have to look like Juan Marichal and be a, a 16 or a 17, just like Greg Maddox. They were the same score. They look different, but the things that they did were very foundational in nature, you know. And so I think that, you know, our goal hopefully is to continue to build more awareness for young pitchers or for guys entering the draft of like, well, if I want to maximize the value of my career, I still need to really think about what I'm doing from a movement perspective and how that relates to, you know, what's going to happen in the next three, five, six years of my career. Yeah, you you know, those are all such great points. You know, the I always would argue, um, you know, when people start cookie cutting baseball players, and you know, say, well, go walk through the Hall of Fame mm-hmm. and look at Juan Marichal's delivery and look at Steve Carl. Each guy, Bob Gibson, each guy was a different guy, but fundamentally they were sound um, with what they did. Um, they got to balance. Their direction was good. They finished pitches properly. They understood how to pitch. You know, they, uh, you know, they took care of their bodies the right way. All, all, all the things that, that, that truly matter and you can't cookie cut because then if you start cookie cutting, you eliminate a possible Hall of Fame guy. Who's going to teach? Like, you know, like I always say, who, would you try to teach somebody to pitch like Clayton Kershaw? I don't think so right. because it, it, it's a bizarre delivery and somewhat, you know, with a lot of moving parts, but it works for him to the tune of him being a Hall of Fame pitcher, you know, or Louis Tiant or, you know, whoever, Bob Gibson, you know, they were all different. But, you know, you allow a person's athleticism and what they do naturally and you try to guide them into having a good foundation, and that's where you have a, end up having a lot of success. You're exactly right. And one thing that we've seen from players going from the USPBL to um, major league organizations is most of the time they're going to be met with, well, this looks a little bit different, and, well, you can't quite do that. And it's always like, well, why not? You know, and it's, it is a conversation. And it's, it's been upon the player to then have those conversations with their coaches or organization about what they're doing. And it should be, you know, positive in nature. It doesn't always turn out that way, but it goes back to the point of, you know, a guy, a guy like Juan Marichal or uh, Jim Palmer, if he's 20 years old in the game today and he starts winding up, <laughs> he's probably going to be prohibited from doing that. So, whoa, hey, we, we, we can't be doing that. No. Without, without, without a doubt, I signed with the Orioles, and 
I used to watch him and I watched Flanagan and Scott McGregor. And, you know, you start figuring out that every one of them are different, but every one of them are the same because they were balanced. They were online. They got the ball out of their glove. They got through it. They finished out over their front leg, which is an anomaly now that nobody, nobody seems to think that that matters at all, but I think it still does. Because then, you know, after we were always taught after you released it, you're now a fielder. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you want to be able to be in control, not stumbling off, stumbling off to your glove side somewhere because you overthrew the pitch. Right. So. Well, are we seeing a decline? And Justin, I want you to weigh in on this too. Are we seeing a decline? You, you're mentioning a lot of, you know, great major league starters, guys that went deep into games. We've seen guys throw two, 3,000 innings in our careers. And for some reason, the human body quote-unquote, can't do that anymore. I, I tend to disagree. But where you're at, Bull and Justin, with your research, are we seeing a decline in that major league starter? Yes. Yes, we're not, you know, we're, you know, it's uh, the analogy I'll use is uh, if you're going to go run a marathon, do you just go run a mile? you got to train longer and harder if you're going to be a starting pitcher. And we keep you know we're we're so overprotective. We never we never take the the leash off and let the you know let the horse run free, and you know teach him how to go deep into a game, teach him to pitch to contact, not to be three and two on every hitter. You know I I was a pitching coach for seven years and um, had a lot of years our team. My guys would throw 35, 40 complete games. And because I told them, I said, you want to stay out on the mound? Keep your pitch count down. And I never had a guy throw more than 128 pitches in all those complete games because you pitch to contact. You know, there's nothing wrong with throwing one pitch and getting it out or throwing two pitches and getting it out. You know, you have a plan how to, you know, how to stay off the barrel of the bat. You don't have to strike every hitter out. As uh, Bull Durham says, that's fascist, right? Strikeouts are fascist. Yeah. So, Justin, I know you guys are on top of this. What kind of research or work are you doing in this field to, to study the decline of major league or of major league starters, I should say? Well, I think one of the things without getting too like into the weeds of like the, the mechanics and the sequencing and the profiling of all these pitchers, but you know, from 1990 to really about 2011, 2012, each year we would see about 40 pitchers at least get 200 innings per year. And since 2015, that number has drastically stopped. I mean, yes, we had the COVID year, but last year we had four pitchers do it at the major league level. And it's, you know, you have to be able to throw six innings to get there, you know, amongst the 32 starts that you get as a starter. And then obviously we want to get seven, eight sometimes, right? But I think now it's if a pitcher gets us to the fifth, he's gone through two times through the order, We'll hand it over to our guys. Statistically, their their, their matchups uh, work well here. You know, there's more roster size, but it's like, well, huh? If I'm sitting in the dugout and I'm the manager, I'm the pitching coach. I can see how well in that moment my pitcher is executing the pitch. How how off timing are the hitters, and is he continuing that? And that should be a decision. Obviously, in the game, it doesn't just mean that, well, on average or the data says that you can't get into the third time through the order. We still got to use our eyeballs and be a participant in the game of what that pitcher is doing. So I think now it's just, well, we got five or six. Let's make a change as like a, a strategy where, well, we can still see what Verlander's doing now and he's having no problem. And but that's part of some of those, you know, the dying breed of those starters that they can get there. They've proven they can get there. Let's let them get there. And obviously if we're paying the most amount of money, we want them to get there, you know? So from that strategy that shifted, but from the, the whole other side of it is, well, now starters are accumulating less innings per start and they're getting hurt more often. Well, huh, does that make sense? Well, we know now that on average, a team is going to spend about 10% of their entire payroll on injured pitchers. And that can vary year to year. But let's just say that on, on an average, there's going to be just $10 million out the door on pitchers that can't pitch. 
And we're, we're actually saying as a job description, oh, you don't have to throw as much innings now, but we're also getting hurt more. And so the problem in baseball is, well, what are we actually demanding of our pitchers now? And what is the ongoing strategy for the next five, 10 years? I don't think we're going to see this resurgence anytime soon of this influx of starters going to the seventh and eighth inning. Because as I did the team by team analysis of how many pitchers actually get to the big leagues um, and stay in the big leagues since 2012 of like the top three pitchers selected, you know, the Cardinals and the Braves and the Guardians, they did a pretty good job of getting larger numbers of pitchers there. We had teams like the Mets, the A's, the Rangers, the Pirates, they had two to four pitchers get there. You know, plus those pitchers that get there aren't necessarily turning into that 200 innings pitch per year quality starter. That's great. Bo, go ahead. Yeah, I. Um, it's, it's just uh, – you know, it's it's extremely frustrating. Um, you know, what manager can tell you with a straight face that he wouldn't want to have five starters that go six innings plus? Yeah. Because now your bullpen stays fresher for the 162 games. You stop the this insane shuttle of, you know, having, you know, eight or eight, eight to 12 pitchers in your bullpen now. That shuttle back and forth from Triple A, um, I, I you know I don't understand any of it. I you know to me a, a, a team you want to have as you know few movements as possible. Keep a group of guys together to bring them bring them out. Have a group of starters that go deep in the game. A group group of relievers that come in and get the job done at the end and, and, and build a camaraderie and a team chemistry to be a good winning team. Now there's this, you know, because of injuries and because of managers and organizations look at their, their bullpens as a 15 to 20 man triple a big league slash group that um, you see guys going back and forth, back and forth every week from the big leagues to triple a and, <clears throat> to me, that's it's just not a healthy thing, you know. Um, you know, you played and I played. You know, the only time you wanted to go get moved is if you got promoted. <laughs> you oh, know, yeah. not, uh, you, you know, like I got traded. That was a pain in the neck. I got sent up. I got sent down. You know, those were all pain in the neck moves because you got to pack your whole life up and go to a new place. And it's like they don't care about that anymore. Um, you know, there's something about continuity. I hold a, heard a story from uh, Jack Butterfield, who was with the Yankees, told uh, Bill Livesey, who was their longtime scouting director and farm director who helped build the Yankees dynasty, said, you know, if you plant nine trees at the beginning in, in April and eight of them you, you leave alone and one of them you pick up and re, replant it somewhere else every couple months at the end of the year eight of them are going to be really healthy and that one's not going to be quite as healthy Mm -hmm. you know just an analogy there to um to like you know put it just put a little you know sanity back into it so i i I went down a a long road there i apologize that's that's why we have you on you 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 connect the dots for us you've got the lifelong experience as you say I mean, and, and I saw this the other day for our audience. Bull was kind enough to spend what was supposed to be 30 minutes, ended up being an hour on the phone with my 13-year-old Tanner discussing, you know, baseball, mm-hmm. scouting. I mean, anything that he wanted. So, no, we appreciate the insight, Bull, as always. Justin, I, we, we've kept John for, for almost an hour now. How, how does a family or a, a kid or a coach get the, the program. I know it's on app, but can you explain to our audience how they can get it and go from there to the MVP program and, and give us a, uh, kind of how they can become a part of your knowledge system? Sure. Um, we can go to the uh, app store, the Google Play store, uh, type in DVS Baseball MVP app. You'll see our app pop up. You can download the app. You can get into um, kind of our, our atmosphere there. There's a lot of free content that you can go through. Uh, throwing programs free, the arm care system's free of how to go through it. Uh, you can go to dvsbaseball.com. You can follow us on there. 
Or I like to tell everybody, hit contact, send us an email, and most of the time you'll likely get a phone call from me to walk you through it. Um, because, you know, I'm a little bit, I guess, call me traditional approach. I mean, I, I like to get on the phone and talk to you um, because it goes back to like we always talk about. It's everyone's coming from a different background or what they need at that given moment. And, um, you know, we just talk about how the program uh, can help them, you know, from their current perspective. So, you know, if you want to know more specifically about your current situation and, you know, how DBS can potentially help you, you know, feel free to send us an email um, or give us a call and we'll be happy to do it. No, we thank you for that. And we encourage our audience. Our whole show is about building better baseball IQs and, you know, taking our baseball experiences and helping others have even more better baseball experiences in their lives. And your uh, appearance on the show today, not only did that, but I love when I get smarter. Um, you, you made me smarter today with the show. And if our parents can take this away in our today's analytic driven society, um, you know, I think Justin's program exhibits this. In our world today, we're drowning in information, but we're starving for wisdom. And I think this program is, is wisdom and I endorse it. I'm using it for my kids. We're using it throughout our program now. Um, I, we were in, uh, Kevin did a great article on you on Ball 9 magazine. We encourage everybody to get on Ball 9 and read that article, plus the other articles that Kevin has done. Great, great uh, resource for baseball. Um, our audience, please download the app today. Get on it and make sure you follow us uh, after the show. We'll be on Apple, Amazon, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio. Make sure you download us uh, so that we can, we can keep pushing this show out to you. Like us, give us a review on it. And uh, Justin and, and Bull, appreciate you guys uh, contributing today significantly uh, to our audience, baseball experience and baseball IQ. Thanks, guys. We appreciate you. Thank you, guys. It's been Thank great. Thank you. Great, great job, Justin. Yep. Just hang out with us for a second here and we'll send you off. Great job, Justin. Thanks.